Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have you found out he's faithful? Oh, I have. He is faithful. Oh, never mind. I'm just going to alert you. Be ready for spontaneous outbreaks of the Holy Spirit right where you sit. The days of waiting for the, the prayer line are over. And he's told us that more than once through prophecy, through more than one vessel. Specifically Hans and also Bronk. Recent ones, maybe others that I'm just not remembering. But be prepared for spontaneous outbreaks of the Holy Spirit. Right where you are. But see, even while we're here, even during this service, I don't care. What if that fully manifests? He really wanted to remind you of that because he kept dealing with me. Read the most recent prophecy, you know, right even before we left the house. So, oh, okay. So we're making room for the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants. I had a little taste of that Friday. I teach a small class in India. It's a Zoom, one of those Zoom meetings, you know, and the fellow who runs the Zoom, I don't, I barely know Zoom. I can't run one yet, but he does from Bangalore. And it's a, that particular Friday, Friday was, it's this weekend is a holiday in India, so the class was even smaller than normal. But right about halfway through, just doing what I do, his presence manifested. And see, I, I knew I felt it when it came, but I can see them. They felt it when it came. <laughs> we all went, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. More and more I'm understanding how every nation, every tribe, every tongue shall be touched by this gospel of the kingdom. If I was going to try and put a title on Alan's message, and I, it's not my job to do that. He, he knocked it out of the park again this morning. I think the title I would put on it is something along this line. And he's going he's gonna to continue with that same theme, I think, in this service. Our job is to be a waiter and not a chef. And the analogy he's drawing there is, see, Jesus would serve off of the Father's table. Remember when the blind men came? And, Son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And they tried to hush him up and couldn't hush him up. Don't let anybody hush you up when you need something from Jesus. But he got their attention and he said, he just stopped what he's doing. Bring them here. What's amazing, though, he didn't just assume what they wanted. He asked them, what would you have me do for you? Now, if you ever want to see the picture of a waiter, high class in one of those, I don't even, I've just seen movies. <laughs> they don't have those at McDonald's, you know. The waiter comes out and got that towel, I guess, you know, high class. Here's Jesus, because he knows he can serve you. 
anything off of the Father's table. But see, the Father's the one that's prepared that table. In ministry, too often, I like how Alan said it, we try to give them love, but it's our love we're trying to give them. That's not the kind of love. That's not how we're to serve. We're to serve off of the Father's table. The meal has already been prepared. Jesus is the bread. The Holy Spirit is the manifester of the bread. Everything's already done. Come to the feast. It's all been prepared. Our job is to learn how to serve off of that table. We need to be better waiters, not try to be chefs. Yes, sir. See, I see another analogy in my spirit. I just got to, you know, you know what's going on here lately. Thank you all. Let's stay the whole time. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful. First Corinthians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'm not going to turn there. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul talks about and what's, what's going on there. If you read, if you remember chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, that's where everyone was split up and divided. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of this one. I'm of that one. As though these men were something special. And then Paul says, now, who am I? Who is Apollos? And the verse goes something like this, 1 Corinthians 4 and 1, continuing the thought. He says, now here's how you're to think about us. He says, we are your ministers for Christ's sake. That word minister is different from what's normally used for servant. Normally the Greek word is doulos, which can either be a servant by force or a servant by choice. Both could be translated doulos. But the word that's translated minister there is used very rarely in the New Testament. You've got to remember now, Paul is speaking during the time of the Roman occupation. Everyone understands Rome. Everybody knows what the Roman government, they know what ships are like and how those ships were moved in those days. And because the word that Paul chose to use there, he could have picked any Greek word. He could have picked doulos, but he picked something different. And the word means under rower. What he means by that, those Roman ships, they did have sails, but if there was no wind, or if you're in time of war and you needed faster motion, down below the deck where nobody could see it, if, you, if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, that old wonderful movie with uh, Moses in it. No, that was Charlton Heston in it. I'm sorry. I got confused there just for a minute. See, and God's not a taskmaster with a whip. And it, that's not the image. What, that's not what Paul's trying to convey. Paul's saying, when the gospel ship comes and it's loaded down with everything God has for you, you don't ever want to misunderstand who the captain is. It is certainly not Paul. I am just the under rower. The captain of the ship is Jesus. <laughs> So why do you say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos? We're just his under rowers. Our job is to help get the ship to you, but don't you mistake who the captain is.
That was a great message. <laughs> well, it's one thing to teach that. We're in a, be honest with you, we're in a transition. We're in a, I'm trying to pronounce metamorphosis in the Greek, right? I looked it up again. It's, I kept, it's spelled metamorpho, but it's not pronounced that way. It's metaf- metamorpho-o. I personally like metamorpho better, but it's just wrong. But metamorpho-o. Because we, act, we actually are going through a transformation. When Sue and I first launched out into ministry, we did our best to obey God. We're still doing our best to obey God. But you really can only give what you have. And so I'm sure a lot of what we did was giving them our love and trying to give them our understanding and trying to share. Now, we had instructions from the Lord, and we followed those, make everything free and, and that sort of thing. But see, we're going through a transformation now where we're going to give something we don't. That's not. I started to say something we don't have. That's not really true. We have it. But we didn't originate it. We're bringing it. But it's not really us. It's Christ in us. And we ourselves are the under rowers. <laughs> Not really to be seen. Doesn't really matter who is down there rowing the ship, does it? All you care, if you're, if you're one stranded on a desert island, all you care is that the ship comes. You need what's in that ship. Well, we're going through a metamorpho, a metamorphosis. That's the word used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That you be no longer, no more conformed to this world, but be you transformed, metamorpho Be you transformed, metamorpho metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is very important in this. No longer be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. I misquoted it there for a while. I said that you may know. Well, you do have to know it, but that's not what it says. See, what we're needing to do now is prove it. The world needs us to prove it. It's time to put up or shut up. The world is tired of hearing about your Jesus. Again, Alan, a week or two ago, says when they come to you, they don't want to hear about Jesus. When they come to you, they need to meet Jesus. That requires a metamorpho. Of course, most of us in school, the first time we were ever really ex- exposed to that word to understand what it means is when we learned about how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And there's all kinds of little kids' books, you know, about the little caterpillar and crawling out on the leaf, and then it gloriously becomes a butterfly and it flies off. See, and that, that's pretty and nice, but if you really study what happens, did you know metamorpho is not very pleasant for the caterpillar? It spins this little cocoon thing. What's the first thing that happens when the caterpillar... Now, before that, it was a happy little caterpillar going along on little green leaves in the sunshine, eating to its little heart's content. Sounds like Gary at a buffet. (laughs) Happy little Gary. Chomp, chomp, eat, eat. Then he says, I want you to transform into something else. Yes, sir. Okay, I see that now. 
And I want you to start focusing on things that aren't your strength. Again, I wasn't planning on interjecting that right here, but I myself, I do try and do my own preaching. (laughs) So if I want to stand here and, and read that prophecy from Pastor Bronk where he says, Stop defaulting to your strength. I knew what he meant. You probably know what he means in your life too. My strength out of, okay, the four pillars, prayer, the word, what's that other word? Fasting (laughs) and worship. Well, my strength, what's easy for me, what, what I default to, if I don't watch it, I just, I can pray in tongues and the word. I, I can get hours can go by. Like Dave's, like Dave would tell us about worship. He'd pour that hot cup of tea. And take one sip and it's hot, but he's in worship. And he said, the next sip I took, it was cold. How did that happen? That happens to me with the word. I can just get lost in it. I mean, so much time goes by. So if I don't catch my, and I like to hear the word. My default is I like to, I listen to every message here, of course. I listen to Jim Martin. I listen to Bronk and a few others, you know. But that feeds me. That's my default. So those things to do with the word and prayer, that's where I default. Worship, and I don't know why, I'm finding out a little bit, has traditionally been hard for me. Not that I don't love him, it's the act of anyone. We'll get into that when I know more about it. And fasting, for sure, has not been one of my strengths. See how quiet it is? I know it is for you. But I've been, I've been doing this, and Sue knows I have too, and pushing away from the table more. And when I do eat, I need to get a t-shirt that said, salads are us, you know. <laughs> Instead of going and getting another helping, a barbecue, a slice of tomato, another tomato, another blessed, glorious tomato, you know. Drown it in ranch, you know. But anyway. But I've especially been spending those times in worship and trying to do most of it dry. Now, I use music some. But as soon as I am in the flow at all, then I've been shutting the music off. And I love you. I worship you. How did Dave say it? Dry as cracker juice. Don't feel nothing. No goosebumps, no emotion. What will happen? It won't even be five minutes and I'll catch myself praying in tongues. And I'm reading my, I got my phone out reading my Bible again. I defaulted to my strength. Shut that off. Go back. I love you. I worship you. You can go, you know, an hour, two hours doing that. Now, here's something I've already discovered. You would think after it's a, a two-hour spell of that, and not, not one goosebump, not one emotion, not one brush of an angel's wing. I didn't hear Gabriel's trumpet, nothing. You would think after two hours of that, you'd go, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> How useless is that? I'm not going to do that again. But what's amazing it becomes addicting. And I'm going, I'm going to go, I, want to, I need to do that again. And part of me goes, are you nuts? Now, I know that part of me that goes, are you nuts, is that outer man that Alan keeps talking about. <laughs> it's a part of me that's not getting fed during that, see. 
But it becomes addicting, and I, I can tell something is happening. Got to handle stuff. Now, glimmers. All I can give you is glimmers, but I can. There are passages starting to open up for me, and I know it has to do with not doing my strength. There's passages starting to open up for me. I'm going to share a little bit that in all these years of praying in tongues never did open up. And they have to do with the love of God. So I'm just recommending to you at the early part of this. Really do your best to obey that prophecy where the Lord gave us instruction. Stop defaulting to your strength. Now don't stop praying. Whatever your strength is, keep your strength. Okay? But I'm not going to stop praying in tongues. I'm not going to stop in the Word. Come on. But I can't just default to that all the time. I really recommend to you, whatever your weakness is in those four pillars, give your time to the weakness. Because he's wanting, if we're going to use the analogy of serving off of his table, and the table normally has four legs, that table needs to be balanced. I don't want my table having two long legs and two short legs. Come on. I need that table to be balanced. So I recommend to you, again, what the Lord said to us, don't just default to your strengths, what's already easy for you. I heard, I hear a, I hear a voice, I don't know whether you're here or there, somebody's going, none of it's easy for me. <laughs> well, welcome to the prayer center, hallelujah, you know. We all started off pretty much that way. <laughs> I remember the first hour I ever tried to pray in tongues in the trucks. Just trying to pray in tongues. I mean, just, you know. And my mind, I mean, I, I, okay, I made this wonderful commitment. Lord, I'm going to make the cab of this truck my prayer closet. I'm stuck in this truck 48 or more hours a week anyway. I'm shutting off the CB radio. I'm just going to, I'm shutting off the regular radio. I'm just going to pray in tongues. Doesn't that sound great? Start off, you know, you learn real quick, you'll get hoarse doing that. Volume doesn't matter, it's the syllables that matter. I'd catch myself, and I'm, I'd quit praying, didn't mean to quit praying. My mind had drifted, I'm solving some problem, something I need to work on when I get back home. Just thinking about how pretty Sue is. You know, oh yeah, I, got, I was praying in tongues, you know. What do you do? You just got to start again. I remember the first time Dave had one of those long prayer sessions here at the church. Man, I could not sit and pray. Are you kidding me? I had to walk this. The reason our green line is so fuzzy, it's been walked on so long. <laughs> you know, all the way around too, you know. I couldn't sit and pray hardly at all. I mean, I had to get up and move and walk and, you know, well, it's not easy. See, I didn't start off my strength, but it became my strength because I did it so much those first few years, and it's still my strength. Okay, I think I've labored on that enough. But I know what I mean, came. But I know what I. So, what does the Bible say is the secret to being filled with all the fullness of God? Don't everybody shout at once. 
It's in Ephesians chapter 3. I believe it's 3. Where he says, I desire that you'd be rooted, that the Father would grant you, that you would be rooted and grounded in what? In love. And he continues in that passage, that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if words mean anything, that means you can be partially filled with God. And I think that's where the church is. I think that's where the prayer center is. We are filled. We're, we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. We've got the Holy Ghost in a, a measure, or we couldn't pray in tongues. But there's a difference if, if that passage means. I mean, he's writing to people that are already born again. That letter, that letter is not to sinners. It's to Christians. The secret is love. And it's God's love. That's the higher way, the more excellent way, like Alan teaches from 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13. Ought to be a banner over chapter 12, the less excellent way. <laughs> chapter 13 is the more excellent way. Well, what's chapter, what is chapter 13? That's what we call normally the love chapter, see. So I've been spending time working on my not strength, which is worship, doing exactly what Pastor Dave says, I love you, I love you, I worship you. It's easier with music. Sometimes during the prayer sessions I can tell that B is worshiping. You know, she'll... One time Angie said B and I were doing a duet. We was doing the same song, didn't know it. <laughs> you, you don't realize you're kind of singing along, you know. <laughs> But it's really the, the more productive time is without the music. Just you and God. So he's opened up this passage. I know you've heard me teach it before, but it's, I keep going back to it because it keeps showing me more. And it's the one we're so familiar with in Luke 15. Now, again, I'm just going to remind you, those of you that might be new and learning how to meditate the Word of God in whole images... If you haven't heard Dave's series on imagery, meditation, imagery, and delivery, you sure need to get that one in you. But if you want to meditate in a whole image, that image pretty is pretty big. It's Luke 15.1 all the way through Luke 17.10. And if you don't understand every verse in the light of that whole passage, you don't understand it yet. Because it's all one thing. So... How that passage begins is Jesus out amongst the sinners. And, of course, that's what he does. He's out seeking and saving the lost, which is what he's supposed to be doing. Well, the religious people could not understand that. They had no heart for the sinner at all. They're going, why would this man who calls himself a righteous man, why would he be out here with these sinners? They just couldn't understand it. If you want to know the truth of it, every one of the parables now, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, the unjust steward, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, all of that progression, all of it, is directed at the Pharisees, trying to really trying to help them and trying to correct them. See, because in that story, there's of the product, what we commonly call the prodigal son, we can all relate with the prodigal. 
most of us anyway, uh, Bronk can't. Bronk has the most boring testimony of anybody I ever heard. Saved at five, filled at seven, served God his whole life. I wish I had that testimony, but right on the other hand, how boring. I, mean, <laughs> I can't really relate with that. I didn't walk that path, I'm telling you for sure. Sue and I walked a quite different path. We were such good sinners. Is that is that an oxymoron? <laughs> we were so adept at sinning that when we got married, we you know that there used to be a doctrine, you can't be saved unless you confess every single sin you ever committed. We looked at each other and went, bet me. <laughs> we had sinned so much for so long. So we just made this agreement. We're getting married, you know. All right, let's just assume each one of us did everything. And then that way later on, if we find out something, we can kind of have the attitude, oh, I already knew that. <laughs> so we can relate with the prodigal who asked for his inheritance and he went and lived in the world and had led a life of sin. And riotous living is one part of it. And then the elder son said he's wasted your inheritance on harlots. Well, that tells you quite a bit. That's probably accurate. But see, a life of sin will destroy you. And it destroyed him. He wound up being broke. Getting hungry. Took a job that's pretty insulting, pretty demeaning for a Jewish boy. He took a job feeding the pigs. That's pretty low. But see, he had to get even lower than that. I tell people all the time, some people got to hit bottom. Some people, like Gary, got to hit bottom and bounce a couple of times before you finally come to yourself. Well, he not only went broke, got so hungry, he took a job feeding pigs, but then he was still hadn't repented. He still hadn't returned to his father's house. So it says he got so hungry, he was actually right at the verge of putting his face into the trough and eating the slop with the pigs. Now that's 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 hitting bottom, I think. And in that same verse where it says that, where he would have put his face and ate the husks, in that same verse it says, and no man gave unto him. And in the margin of my printed Bible I wrote, thank God. The, I'm telling you, we do too much enabling. Parents are especially, it's hard, you know, to separate human love from God's love. You think God didn't know where that boy was? You think God couldn't have sent a raven with a sandwich? You got to hit bottom. Hunger is a great motivator. And parents too often enable their children to continue in their sin because they're substituting human love for God's love. He told us a long time ago. He said, human compassion is as deadly as poison when it is substituted for my compassion. That's true. That is true. So we relate real easy with the prodigal son. Thank God he did come to himself. And part the part of the story, I love the whole story, but the part of it that I get weepy on almost every time is when he, 
He made up this whole thing. I'm going to return to my father's house. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm just going to be your hired servant now. And that's a repentant heart. That's okay, you know. But what I love about the story, he's headed home. And the father saw him a long, long way off. Now, how come the father saw him a long way off? He was looking for him. He was looking for him. I can just see him looking down that dusty road that led to the house. There's my boy. And you know, the father didn't sit there and wait for the boy to get there. It said the father left to go meet him. God. Brought him to the house and the boy started to rehearse his speech, you know. I'm not worthy. I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. Father, hush. (laughs) You bring the signet ring, the family crest, the ring. Put this on my son's finger. You bring the best robe. You put it on him. Bring the sandals. Kill a fatted calf. It's barbecue time today. Hallelujah. Boy, we rejoice. I can so relate to that. I think most of us except Bronk can relate. <laughs> There's another one in the room that has the same testimony, but I don't want to get in trouble and mention it. So. So. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's easy to relate. But see, really, this and the story, the parable, is not... That's all true. It's wonderful. It tells the big part of the story. But that parable is not over yet. And it's really directed at the Pharisees. Because there was an elder son who didn't go live like that. He didn't go into the world and commit that kind of sin. He didn't sleep with harlots and didn't do whatever riotous living is. It says we've remained in the, we've remained in the fields, you know. We've remained in our father's fields. They worked in the fields every day. But when he started coming home, at the, I guess at the end of the day, he started coming back to the house, and he heard music and singing, it says. And he's going, what's going on? And one of the servants first came out and told him, well, your, your brother that was lost, your brother, he's returned home. And the father's rejoicing. You know, they're, we're having a party because he's come home. That elder son was so angry, he would not even go in the house. Finally, the father has to come out. See, he, what's that? It's the, it's the Pharisee spirit right there. The father had to come out and say, Come on in, son. Join the party. No. He wouldn't even call him his brother. This thy son. <laughs> God. This thy son. I, I can't believe you're having a party for this guy. He's wasted your goods on riotous living. In, You've been out with the harlots, you know. And here you're having a party, and what it's really telling, he says, you never had a party for me. I've just been, I I never did like him. I've stayed right here working in your fields. You never had a party for me. Now, first question. So in his situation, who is on his heart? Him. (laughs) It's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. Hallelujah. But the father continued, he said, son, come on in. It was good that we celebrate. This my son, your brother, he was lost and is found even more strong. He was dead 
and is alive again. Now see, I've rehearsed that story, I've told that story, I've taught that story so many times. But in this season, this season, I keep coming back to what would be the cure? Let's say it this way. Let me start here. Obviously, there's a love for the lost that's in the father's heart that is not in the elder son's heart. Can we agree on that? The father loves just the fact that his son was out in the world and sinning did not change the father. So you can't change God. God is, I'm waiting, God is, He is love. God is love. See, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He's talking about the lost world. All the lost sons and daughters of Adam. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that those that believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loved... It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans says, when we were the enemies of God, His Son reconciled us by His blood. God. But see, that same love was not in the elder Son. And what's in the parable, He's the religious one. He's supposedly serving God. He's working in church. Can I say it that way? He's working in the Father's fields. He's not out in sin. He's in that sense the same way that the prodigal is. But yet, the love of God for the lost is not in him. And here in this season, we're in the blueprint over and over and over again because God is trying to bring us into a true outpouring of revival. Come away with me. Spend time with me. Put away other things. Come and spend time with me. Because he got it across to me finally. There's only one cure for that elder son. Only one cure. And that would be for him to go spend time with his father. Now he labored in the father's fields and apparently he would even come and sleep that each night in the father's house because he was approaching the house. But that doesn't mean that he ever spent any time with his father. He thought the father should be mad at that the brother. He thought the father would be mad at him. So in my meditation, I think about this elder son stopping by Krispy Kreme Donuts. Going through Starbucks and getting the vente, not the tall. How was that? Pastor Dave loved the double caramel macchiato. Two of them, thank you. <laughs> Come into his father's house with donuts and coffee and say, Father, I'm, I'm going to take a little break from working in the fields all the time. I'm just coming in. It's just been a long time since I spent any time with you. Can we just sit here at the dining table and just talk for a while? I just want to get to know you better, Father. I love you. I've been working in your fields, but I just need to feel like I need to know you better. And in my meditation, I see them sitting there at a little round dining table. But as this elder son is beginning to fellowship with his father every now and then, the father, he kind of leans over because there's a picture window there that looks out on the road that leads to the house. And that elder son would notice every now and then the, the father would lean over and he'd look down that road and then he'd come back talking with him. In a little while he'd do it again. He'd lean over and he'd look down that road. Finally the elder son would say, are you, are you looking for something? I, I notice every now and then you stop and you look down that road. 
What are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking. And I'm hoping every day. I'm looking for your brother. I'm hoping this is the day that my my son will repent. And I'll see him coming back to my house. Now, at first, that would have been a surprise to the elder brother, just like it was when when the party started, and it surprised him. He would have said something like, Father, I thought you'd be mad at him. He took the inheritance, and he just left, and he went out into the world, and he just wasted it on sin and prostitutes. I thought you'd be mad at him. The father would say something like, Well, I don't approve of what he's doing. I sure don't approve of that. And he can't do that and live in the house. But I love your brother. I'm sure hoping today's the day he repents. Well, what if that elder son, at first it would have been a shock and a surprise, and he would not have agreed at all, but if he had come back the next day, spent some time with his father again, and then the next day, little by little, see, The love that's in the Father is going to start getting transferred into the Son. I'm going to say it another way. The elder son, by that process, would be metamorphosed. See, there's a big difference in a ministry that's launched by command and a ministry that's launched by love. What if on that very first day, when it was a shock to the elder son. I mean, what I mean, the first day when he went into fellowship with the father and he found out that the father's heart was broken over the elder son. But the love that the father has is certainly not in the elder son at that point. What if the father would have commanded him? I'm giving you a commission today. I want you to go out and find your brother and tell him that I still love him and I want him to repent and come home. Now, based on what we... See, in that parable, the elder son, he says, I've never disobeyed any of your commands. Would he have done it? I think he would have. But he sure wouldn't have done it from the motive of love. And all he could really serve was what was in him, which is not love for the sinner. He's just doing it. It's a ministry launched by command, and I'm afraid we have too many of those in the church today. Ministries launched by command. Which is, if you if he commands you, you got to do it. I try to imagine how the elder brother out there doing that by commanding, he doesn't even care anything about the prodigal. So let's say that that didn't happen. That the father's just glad that the elder son come in and fellowshiped with him and looking forward to fellowshipping with him the next day, looking forward to the next day, but every day, every day, every day. As that elder son spent time with his father. The love that's in the father. Started getting transferred. Into the son. Because the father would talk to him. He would talk to him about his brother. Talk to him. Now watch this. Over a period of time. There is a metamorphosis that happens. There is a change. I'm going to get back to the caterpillar in a minute. But there's a change that happens in that elder brother. One day, after a period of fellowship, he'd say, Father, 
I'm so glad I come in to spend time with you. I understand now. My heart now. My heart is breaking. Father, would it be okay with you if I went and tried to find my brother? Would it be okay with you if I went out trying to seek and to save your son? Well, well, he's going to be commissioned, isn't he? But when he goes, he's carrying something on the inside of him that he didn't have before. This is a ministry birthed by love now, not just by command. See, Paul said it is the love of Christ that constrains us. You call us fools, and maybe we are. You say we're mad, and maybe we are. But the love of Christ constrains me. I must do what I do, but it's love that's motivating him. The same one that killed the Christians was now the under rower, not seeking any glory, just wanting to bring the gospel to as many people as he could. And boy, he wanted to know the captain of the ship was not Paul. The captain of the ship is Jesus. And I'm just the under rower. But he's doing it. Ben-Hur, they forced Ben-Hur to do it with a whip. But Paul's doing it because of love. And it's all the difference in the world. And I believe it helps describe what Alan was talking about this morning. It's then when he goes, he's bringing something from the Father. He's got something to serve that came from the Father. And it's not just human. Y'all getting this? Getting back to the caterpillar. See, we have those cute coloring books and all the little kids, we, all the things we do with little children. Because it's a great thing talking about that caterpillar changing into a butterfly. and It's wonderful until you study it. <laughs> getting back to Gary, happy little Gary caterpillar. Crawling on the leaf, eating at the buffet in about 30 minutes. <laughs> happy little Gary. Happy little caterpillar. Glad God loves him and God does love him. But Gary wants to fly. Gary wants to serve off of a table something that Gary didn't prepare. And God says, well, for that to happen... You have to go through a metamorpho getting better. Now for that caterpillar, if you ever really study it, what happens? First, there's a spinning of that cocoon thing. Do you know what's inside of the cocoon besides the caterpillar? Total darkness. said, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been worshiping. Things seem to be getting worse. Welcome to the cocoon. Yeah. Not any light at all inside of there. Ever feel hopeless? It's funny how I go through these seasons just doing what God told us to do and waves of hopelessness will wave, just wash over me at times. You got to shake that off. You got to shake that off. Things seem to get darker. Dave would talk about this. I've been doing the message. I felt better before I started praying. I feel worse about myself now than I did then. Well, good. You're doing it right. 
You're allowing God to start shining the light in those dark rooms of the soul that even you don't go into anymore. You've had that door shut for so long. But in order to be transformed, metamorpho-ode, into what God wants you to be, every one of those rooms, the door has to be flung open. The light has to shine, and then the room has to be purged, has to be cleansed. Why do you think he's been taking us through for over a year and a half now? It's a purging process. Let's get back to the caterpillar. So first it's darkness. But then what starts to happen, and I won't go through all of the gory details. Let me just tell you this. It's not pleasant for the caterpillar. The end result for the caterpillar, the little happy worm that used to be at the buffet all the time, it becomes liquefied, completely dissolved. How many have ever felt? (laughs) You prayed, fasted, worshipped, and felt liquefied. (laughs) I'm coming apart. I'm losing who I am and we're all going good. (laughs) It's not pleasant for the caterpillar. I wonder, I wonder what they feel. All I know is what I feel. You're becoming an under-roar is what's happening. You're being metamorpho-ed into something completely different. And everything you were is becoming liquefied. But then comes the rebuilding process. And from that liquid, there is an enzyme. It may not be exactly the right word. There is something in in the caterpillar that begins the rebuilding process. Completely different. Not the same anymore. It's this new man versus the old man. It's something new, something didn't exist before. I don't know what it feels like in that process. But then once that is finished, then you still got to break out of the cocoon. And if anybody helps you, there's a good chance you won't fly. Because part of the, part of the process is you developing the strength to break out of the cocoon. So when you come out, but listen to me, listen to me, no matter how dark it was, no matter how painful it was, no matter how hard that metamorpho process was, when you come out, you can fly. You're a new creature manifested now. It was always in you, but you had to be transformed, had to. When I say it's always in you, I don't mean as a sinner, but from the time you got born again, the seed was in you. Will we go through the metamorphosis process? Well, that's exactly what he's been bringing us through for the last year and a half. During this purging time, this time of going through the fire. Doing the parts that don't come easy to you. I'm looking at my friend Jerry over there, a hero of mine, and a young man in his early 80s. Him and his lovely wife, they're chomping at the bit to get back to Africa. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Don't you know you're supposed to be thinking about a, a house and a, and, a, and a boat and, a, and just spending the rest of your time in 
He says, no, I'm an under rower. Christ wants me to row the gospel ship. Deliver the goods back to Africa. And I'm willing to row. (laughs) We've got, I don't know why this is. We've got people coming for the conference in just a few weeks now. I believe Christ is going to set a fabulous table for them. Even though they're going to come to our uh, lovely building and the fancy carpet and the chandeliers. If you've ever been here, you know I'm kidding. But see, it's not about the building, is it? I'm praying God makes us waiters and not chefs. I really like that message. I pray that He makes us where we can serve off of God's table. Give them what they really need. By the way, many of them can't come because of COVID. But the ones that come, I personally think this is going to be a life-changing conference for a lot of people. I absolutely believe that. And if you can't come, I've already found out His anointing will travel through the airwaves. (laughs) I found that out Friday. As soon as I felt it, they felt it. It was the same on both continents. Bam. Hallelujah. So... Hallelujah. Thank you for that. I'm just waiting. Give me a moment. We don't have to be in a hurry. Remember, you can receive right where you're sitting. You know how rare you are to be here where there's no entertainment for you, no big screens, no smoke machines. Certainly no skinny jeans. <laughs> what are you doing here? We've got some of the biggest and brightest. I'm not against anything, but we've really got a lot of big, fancy, nice churches in town. We really, they're, and they're, I'm not against anything, really, as long as they're preaching Christ. What are you doing here, you hungry outfit? See, you know there's more. You know there is more than what's being delivered today. Your hunger. It's like, how does Alan say that? God says, I didn't put hunger in you. I found hunger in you. Well, that's why you're here. Even if you're watching by video, you're, the hunger, God's found something in you that put a hook in your jaw and allowed Him to draw you. You're not content to spend the rest of your life happily munching on leaves but but bound by earth's gravity to the ground you know you can fly you know you can fly let us yield to everything the Holy Spirit says let us fully obey what he said when you find yourself I, I keep finding myself defaulting to my strength it's just like the early days in the trucks. What can you do? I was going to spend time in worship, and in 15 minutes I'm catching myself praying in tongues again. Well, praying in tongues is good. There's a time. We, we have prayer times. We come down, you know, pray. But right now he wants me focusing on the parts that don't come easy. Well, all you can do is just like, in, you just, oh, sorry, Lord, forgive me. I'm back to it. Same with fasting. I'm trying different all different things. Who knows? 
Say it with me. I know I can fly. I'm willing to go through the change. I'm willing to be an under rower. I don't need to be the captain of the ship. I just want to help get the ship there. Jesus is the captain of the ship. I will be a good waiter. And serve off of my father's table. I will serve what he has prepared. And not what I prepare. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know it's too early to close, but I'm going to close anyway because I'm done. I hear this, there's a resurrection coming of old things. Things that in the early days you and the Lord did together that was greatly enjoyed by Him and by you. And there's coming a resurrection of those things, but they're going to come in a whole new way now because you're not really the same person that you were then. It's different now. But He's going to resurrect things from the past, not sin. I'm not talking, I'm talking about you and Him things from the past. But they're going to mature. They're going to come back into your hand as an adult and not as a child. That's it. Going to come into your hand now as an adult and not as a child. He said recently something that startled me. He says, I'm going to start dealing with you as adults. I don't know how many of you heard that. I'm going to start dealing with you as adults and not as children, even though we're always to be children. How many think he dealt with Jesus as an adult? There's coming a resurrection. I don't know exactly what that means. But I know that it's, you'll know, you'll know in your own life as it happens. Seek after his love. Dave was so right. I don't know much about it yet, but that last room is the room of love. It is the last limb, the last room, the last place, because there are no limbs beyond there. Dave said that door that guards the room of love is the most heavily guarded door in the universe. Every devil there is practically is camped around that door. And it's like there's a banner over it that says, at all costs, none must enter here. But we're going to go all the way in. We are going to go all the way in and allow the Holy Spirit to make this transformation. And be under rowers so the captain of the ship can deliver this gospel to the whole world. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Father, I thank you. I think I've done my best to obey you, Lord. I'm still doing my best. Father, I thank you for these people, not only that are present here today, but everybody who will see this, Lord, by the Internet or any other way. Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. Have your way with all of us. Father, we really do want to go through the metamorphosis. Teach us to fly and not crawl. But teach us to take that lowest place. Mm. <laughs> when I said the lowest place, I saw the caterpillar being liquefied in the cocoon. It doesn't get much lower than that.
Go ahead and play softly. She's getting ready up there. There's a call right now to repentance, and I don't know if it's in this room or not. Could be. And you don't need to come forward. You don't have to come forward to return to your father's house. If you're still in sin, and I mean real sin, you know what I mean. Fornication, adultery, pornography, alcohol, drugs, gambling, on and on and on and on. That kind of a life. If you're still prodigalizing, is that a word? If you're still out being a prodigal? Prodigalizing. Dave used to make up words all the time. But if you're still if you're st- if, you know, half in church and half prodigal. I hear 90% in church and 10% prodigal. That won't do. Right where you are, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to be embarrassed. Say, Father, in my heart, I repent. I want to come home. Now, you've got to understand, the prodigal was not allowed to bring the pig pen with him. He was not allowed to bring the world. You've got to repent. But repent and return to your father's house. Like, let's just all pray this. Say, Father, if there's any wicked way in me, Father, I repent of all sin. I want to come home. I repent, Father. I come again to 1 John 1, 9. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, Lord. Receive me back into your house. Father, I want to come home. I want to come home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, He'll receive you. The blood of Jesus is still there. It says, when you come to the throne of grace, you're going to find two things. Mercy. First, you obtain mercy, and then grace to help in your time of need. He will help you walk free of whatever it is you've been doing. But you've got to be honest with Him. Call sin, sin. Forsake it. Call on His grace to help you. You can walk free of it. We know for sure because you have been made free from sin. Hallelujah. Father, minister that. Good shepherd, go after every good one, every one of them, Lord. Go after each and every one. Bring them all the way into the fold. No time. There's no time left to even have a toe in the world. There's no time left. Father, bring us all. And all of us, Lord, help us stay in the cocoon of change. Where we can be metamorphosed, we can literally be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because we want to prove your will to the world. We want to show it. In Jesus' name, amen.